Good morning. I mean, good afternoon. Oh. <clears throat> Watching that video always like makes me nervous. I'm like, oh man, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I always think it's going to end and then it doesn't end and then I think it's going to end and so always on my edge of my seat. But welcome here. Um, welcome here. My name is Jonathan Newfeld, and I'm an associate pastor here at Deer Run Church. And I'd like to, yeah, just welcome you here. If you're new, awesome. We hope that you enjoy your stay. We hope that you, yeah, get to meet people here, meet the greeters, say hi to someone. And we just hope that it's, yeah, a time that you'll enjoy. And I get to wrap up the series on worship. I get to kind of wrap it up and end off. And uh, if you weren't here for the last couple weeks, I'll give you just a quick run through of what, what you might have missed. So the first week we looked at what personal worship looks like in our life. So how we can treat our life Every day, every hour, our work, our school, everything is worship. We can treat everything as worship. And that we need to just be intentional. Be intentional and actually pursue God with, with everything and that we do. And the second thing that we did, like week two, was corporate worship. So that means coming to church, worshiping as a body of believers. Whether that be through the, the service, whether that be through worship or Sunday school or uh, whatever it may be. Like it's, it's spending time as a body of believers. And I think we're so lucky to have a safe place, to have an awesome environment to worship as a body of believers. So that's corporate worship. And last week, Pastor Peter went over lamenting in worship. And he did an amazing job of kind of demonstrating how it is possible to worship in hard times. And I know it's very hard for us to even talk about that, to like, um, under, understand it at times because we, we tiptoe around it. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to share what's on our hearts. So Pastor Peter did an amazing job of what it means to, to go through these hard times and also to realize that there is healing. There is healing afterwards. And, and through worship, we can understand God's plans better and his, his ways. So that's just a quick recap. And if you haven't seen any of the other ones, please check them out at dearrun.church. You can go online, hear the sermons, and uh, yeah, get a better feel for the whole series because it is phenomenal. And today... I want to start my sermon with uh, something that I've been experiencing recently, and not recently, actually, over the past couple of years. And the thing that I've been experiencing is headaches. And I'm sure you all know what headaches are. You've all had headaches in your life. And uh, not that I have, like, severe headaches or migraines, but I have those ones that, you know, like, you start your day and it's just like a linger, like, ugh, like, oh, I have a headache. And you go, like, kind of weighs you down and just one of those things. And by the end of the day, it might be a little bit better, but usually it comes back up and it's, it's lingering. And I was trying to figure out what the reasons are for this, why it's happening, and I realized it's like I've built up tension in my neck. So it, it happens often, but once that tension is relieved, then it goes away, my headaches. But I was trying to figure out how does, how does it happen that it always happens? Like, how do I always get these headaches? And so I looked at my life, and I kind of reassessed things. I reflected on my life, and I thought, maybe it's because I have the posture of a sloth, and I've sat in a chair slouched for 26 years of my life. That could be a very, very good option right there, a good reason why. Or because I lay on my stomach and my neck is constantly like this. Like, that's, that's another thing. And I don't know if you've noticed over your time of me standing here or, like, with talking in, in, the, fellow, or in the fellowship hall or through the foyer is I have, like, an exceptionally long neck. And uh, it's a lot of work to hold this head up. And I think that's, that's what happens sometimes. So I deal with this tension in my neck and I've been trying to figure out ways to, to relieve this. How do, I, how do I make this go away? How do I make these lingering, annoying headings just disappear? So I got a bunch of advice and people are saying, how about you raise your computer monitor, your computer monitor up, raise it up so it's ergonomically correct. You sit better, your posture. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Or how about you sleep on your back with a pillow underneath your, le- your legs to help your spine. And also I- I've tried it. That's really hard to change your sleeping schedule if you haven't, or sleeping style if you haven't done it before. And the last one I was told is stretch. Just stretch your neck because you need to do something like it's not going away, so stretch. And with all these things, I tried them 
And I think, they're, I think they're working. But before I tried them, I'd always ask myself, how will this benefit my life? How will these things benefit my life that they actually change? And I think as Christians, it's a crucial question to ask, how is worship going to benefit my life? I think it's a really good question to ask. How does worship benefit our life? And I think it's a good question because once we learn how worship benefits our life, then I think we get a greater understanding of the need for worship in our life, the need for that constant worship in our life. And in a moment, we'll be looking at a few passages of Scripture and looking how worship plays a significant role in our Christian walk. But before we do that, I will just say a quick prayer. Dear God, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together, Lord, to worship you, to praise you, and to be yeah, in your presence, Lord. It is such, a, such an amazing thing that we have, Lord, and it is through you. And I pray that we, yeah, we just extend this worship to you, Lord, that we praise you through all, through everything that we do, Lord, that we treat it as a way to worship you because you are worthy of our praise. Amen. And after, after that first week of of our series, Pastor Egg said something, and I think it kind of stuck with us. And the reason why I know it stuck with us actually is because people have been saying, I really have enjoyed the worship. I've really enjoyed the worship. The singing is phenomenal. That worship is so good. And then someone else with a grin on their face will say, isn't the whole service worship? I'm like, yes, the whole service is worship. I know. But we get so caught up in thinking, oh, like the worship is singing or the worship is, the singing is worship, but it is everything. But since we always talk about worship as singing. I think we all look at that first and how that plays into our life. So I want to look at a passage of scripture that they are literally worship, worshiping through singing and how that plays a role. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 16, verse 16. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along behind me or just on the YouVersion Bible app. And again, that is Acts 16, verse 16, all the way to 25. And it says... Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought those before the magistrate and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they were thrown into a prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When they received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. And Paul and Silas had been stripped of their clothing. They had been beaten with rods, and now they find themselves shackled up in a prison cell. And their response is singing with praise. It's singing with praise. And I don't know about you, but if I'm ever... I don't know, I've never been locked up, but if I'm ever beaten or by my siblings or anything like that, my option is never to praise. I'm always like, how do I retaliate? How do I get back at them? 
But Paul and Silas demonstrate the exact opposite. They are worshiping God. They're forgetting about everything that's happening to them right now because they are thinking, what's next? What's next after this? What's next for us after this? And the first way we benefit from worship is worship gives us confidence in God's truth. Worship gives us confidence in God's truth. And what I mean by this is, in the state we find Paul and Silas, we see that, yes, they are in pain and suffering, but they, have conv- they are confined, but they, have, but they have confidence that in the end, whatever happens to them on earth is only temporary, meaning they are living with their eyes set on eternity. And through their worship, Paul and Silas display confidence in the truth of God. They display confidence in that. And I think they're truly understanding what Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 28. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill your body, but cannot kill your soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who destroys your soul and your body in hell. And in our lives, through our worship, we can do the same. When we are faced with trials of hardship, let's remember that Satan may buffet our bodies, but he cannot imprison our worship. Satan cannot imprison our worship. He cannot imprison our praise. He's not able to do that. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, our praises can be through singing, like I mentioned um, with Paul and Silas, but also it can be through whatever it may be. I know Pastor Peter demonstrated in his video last week of drawing. That is the way that he was able to process the pain. That is the way he was able to worship through this time. It is through drawing. And we all have our own ways, whether it be the giftings that we have or, or maybe we're not gifted in those ways, but we still worship through that. God has a way of hearing our praises, hearing our worship. And um, by doing that and by demonstrating this, we are showing that we have confidence in God's truth, in God's character. And worship can be displayed in endless ways. And we can choose to worship through the agony and through the pain and through the chaos of life. And, I think we are, and when we do this, I think we're believing the truth of God's character, that God is good, God is holy, God is immutable, God is love, God is infinite, God is faithful, and God is merciful. And the list goes on and on. God's characteristics. If we are praising God, we are believing that this is truth. We are believing that that is truth. And through our worship, we can gain that same confidence that Paul and Silas had in the fact that we are praising the one whom we live for, the one whom we long for, and the one that has the power of life and death. And the only one who has given us true freedom, true freedom from those shackles. And yes, we'll have many hardships, we'll have heartaches in our life, but when we allow these truths to settle into our hearts, I believe we begin to worship with the utmost confidence in God's power. Through our worship, we build confidence in God's truth. Another benefit that I want to touch on this morning is it goes against the grain of our society. It goes against the grain of what we've been taught. It goes against what social media tries to to portray to us. And this next benefit is when we worship God, we are no longer placing the emphasis on the God of me but we're actually placing an emphasis on the only God, the one true God. We're putting the attention on him. And in our society, we are taught from a young age that everything should be about us. Through the brands we purchase, through the jobs we get, our schooling, and everyone around us, we want them to cater to our needs. Everything about me. We want the best, we want people to notice, and we want the most for our media platforms. We want people to notice us because we are worshiping the God of me. And our obsession with ourselves and our obsession with this idea of of being seen has gotten so bad that product companies are actually releasing things with with the the intent that we 
um, or that they advertise specific ways for us to look at ourselves more, to worship ourselves more. And for an example of that, um, Apple has released the iPhone 11. Looks very cool. I'm excited. I almost want one. Um, very expensive, though, so I probably won't. But one of the things that they advertise with this phone, and that their main, one of their main advertising points is they have a front-facing camera that can take slow-motion selfies. And they're calling it slow feeds. Pretty cool, I know. And uh, so with this, you now have the ability to look at yourself in slow motion as you take a video. And that's, that's pretty crazy. A phone that can take, um, take photos, take videos, text message, email, play games, go on the web, um, can basically do anything. And the thing that they advertise to us is you can look at yourself in slow motion. How cool is that? Like, that's awesome. And I think that speaks for itself with how self-centered we've become, with how self-centered and indulging in ourselves we've become. And the truth is, this isn't only a problem that we've experienced now. This isn't something that's, that's new to, to society. This is something that has been going on forever. All throughout history, people have wanted praise for themselves. They wanted a name for themselves. And in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 9, God blesses Noah and his son, saying, be fruitful and multiply and increase in numbers and fill the earth. And then two chapters later, we see the problem of me. The problem of me. When the descendants of Noah choose to make a name for themselves. In Genesis 11, starting at verse 3, it says, They said to each other, Come, let, let's make bricks and bake them instead of stone, and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may, we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They deliberately choose to do exact, the exact opposite of what God has called them to do. They choose the exact opposite. They wanted to stay central. They wanted to stay in one spot so they could make a name for themselves by building this tower known as Babel. And immediately after the Lord sees us, he scatters them. He's, he's done with it. No, you're not doing as I said. You're praising yourself. That's it. Scattered. Scattered all over the earth. And they, um, in Exodus, we see this as well. This is something that Moses has to deal with as he gets the Ten Commandments. And as you can see, the first commandment, it's no coincidence that God makes it, you shall have no other gods before me. And it's not God with a capital G, it's he says God with a lowercase g. And that is significant because there is no other God that is worthy of the, of the name of God. There is no other God to be praised above God. And uh, yes, yeah, so that's what we see through that. But again, it's not only just an Old Testament problem, it's a New Testament problem too, as the disciples also struggle with that idea of we want our spot. We want to be known. And in Mark 10, 35 to 41, we see James and John struggling with this idea of, Jesus, we want to be on your left, we want to be on your right. We want to be with you. We want our names, we want our seats, we want, we want the glory, basically, is saying. And Mark 10, 35 to 41 says, Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at the right and the other at the left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. And when the other ten heard this, they were indignant with James and John. They were mad at James and John. 
And I think often that's how we feel. We relate to James and John because we want our seat. We want that top spot. We want to be known for something. We want the name for ourselves. But Jesus flips this around in the next couple of verses and really shares what it means to have power, what it means to have honor, what it means to actually be worthy of praise. It looks exactly the opposite of what James and John are seeing. And in verse 42 to 45, Jesus says, You know that those who regard as rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officers exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus tells the disciples, not so with you. And I think having power, or I think we think having power means that we, we get the praise, or that we get the honor, that we get the glory, but that's that's all wrong. That is not how it works. And the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to earth to be served. He came as a servant. And Jesus reminds them that being a follower of Jesus means we don't get the praise. We don't get the honor because when we seek benefits for ourselves and praise for ourselves, we are praising the God of me. And Jesus reminds them, not so with you. Not so with you. And by taking the time and seeing our day as worship, we are now taking the attention off of us and we are placing it on a God worthy of our praise. Jesus says, not so with you, and that applies to our life as well. Through worship, we no longer need to feel that gratification from our selfies or our posts. We no longer, we no longer need to feel that we gain our value through our status because the only reason we actually gain value, the only reason we have value is because it's through God. God has given us that. It is through his sacrifice, through his love that we have any value. It is through him that we have strength. It's through him that we have relationships. It's through him that we have numerous blessings in our life. So when we worship, we no longer see the need to conform to the world and what's around us because we know it's through Christ that we have something much greater ahead of us. We have something much greater after this. And there are, there are many benefits. I, would, I could probably go on for another, I don't know, hour, two hours, two days. There are many benefits we receive through worship. But the last one I want to stress on and just kind of touch on today is provision, the benefit of provision. And the one way we can see how God provides in our life is through a form of worship that we haven't talked about at all through this series, and that's through giving, the act of giving, worshiping through giving. This act of worship can be done through giving many different things. And the common form that we often know is giving our time or our money. But there are so many ways that we can give. It can be through our resources, through our jobs, through um, our teachings, through whatever it may be. There's so many ways that we can give as worship. I think we actually forget how easy it can be. <clears throat> to, give, to give you an example of this, of, <clears throat> of worship through giving, I want to look at the story of Abraham the story of Abraham and Isaac, and what it actually truly means to give up something of value, of true value, of significance in, in life. So, again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 22, as we see Abraham, um, yeah, having to give up his son, and what that means for his life. So, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 22, I'll start at verse 3, and it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He looked, or he, he looked with, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy go over there. I will go with the boy over there. We will worship and then we'll come back down. And I can just imagine, this is a three-day journey as you, as you see it. Three days, he's walking closer and closer. Closer and closer, Abraham is going to, to sacrifice. Every step he makes, he knows, is one step closer to giving him something that he never wanted to give up in the first place. Something that he never wanted to truly give up. And this is so crucial in his life, and it's so important. And um, I'll continue on in verse 9. It reads, in verse 9, when, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and there, are, and there arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord caught out, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not do anything to him. Now I know you fear God, because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham immediately stops when the angel of the Lord calls upon him. And then shortly after, if you're reading, a ram comes out of the bush. You see a ram that is taking this place, the sacrifice. He no longer has to sacrifice his son because this ram is offered. And in that moment, I think Abraham had the utmost fear for God, but also he was understanding how God provides, how God truly provides in those times. And to give you a little bit of context of why this sacrifice was so significant Obviously, it's significant. It's a son, but why it meant so much to Abraham and Sarah is because they thought they could never conceive. At their old age, they thought it would never be possible. And earlier in chapter 15, Abraham had a vision and he was, and was speaking with God about the matter of uh, bearing children. Abraham says to God, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And God responds by saying, A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God goes on to say, look up at the star, the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And the Lord tells Abraham, his descendants will be as great as the number of stars in the sky. And it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And Abraham truly believed, even in their old age, God would grant them a child. Even in, in their time of, of pain and distress, of not thinking they'll never be able to have a child, God is great. God is providing for them. But the thing that they're wanting, the thing that they're yearning for, the thing that they're praying for all this time is the exact thing that now God is saying, all right, I need you to make a sacrifice. I need you to sacrifice the thing that you want the most. I need you to make this sacrifice in your life. And Abraham follows through. Abraham follows through. And in the act of worship, not only does God provide a sacrifice to replace Isaac, but in chapter 22, in verse 15, this is right after the ram is, is offered, the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham a second time. And he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed, because Abraham obeyed. And it's through our worship of giving that we can see how God provides in our life. That being said, I want to be very clear here that 
that we understand that just because we give up something of significance, something of value, does not mean that all of a sudden we're going to have our own ram in the bush. It does not mean that all of a sudden God's going to provide this last-minute way out because that's not how it always works in our life. God provides, but it's not in the way that we always expect it to, work, to happen. And sometimes we will see the way God provides, but other times we won't experience these benefits firsthand, but it'll be the people after us that benefit through these sacrifices. And it's crucial for us to remember the response that the angel of the Lord gives to Abraham the second time, saying, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and sand in the seashores. And though we may not experience the benefit of giving in our obedience, it doesn't mean it isn't worth it. Because you are, because as you can see, it's Abraham's life, or it's Abraham's family line that gets the blessing. It's Abraham's family that receives this blessing through his action, through his obedience, and through his giving. And in my mind, if someone else gains through our sacrifice, gains through our worship, then that is, that is enough. That is enough for us, I think, to, to know that someone else is, is growing in their faith through our acts of worship, through the way that God provides. And I want to wrap up this sermon series and wrap up this this talk today with a challenge. And I wasn't sure if I, if I was going to mention this, but yeah, I want to wrap it up with a challenge. And the challenge is giving. And don't worry, don't turn around. The ushers aren't going to come out and we're not going to display the Thanksgiving offerings or anything like that. Um, it's a different kind of giving. It's a different kind of giving. And I want this to be a challenge of sacrificing. And this is a challenge for myself too. It's something that I need to do. That's why I'm, I'm bringing it for all of us here. The challenge is to think about what are the main things in our lives that consume our time and how we can reduce that time spent with that so we can spend more time with God. And I'll, I'll say that again. The challenge, is that, the challenge is to think about what takes the most times in our life, what consumes the most time, and how we can reduce the time spent with that so we can spend more time with God. And hear me out. I'm not saying we have to give up our hobbies or give up social media or anything like that, but I think we can, I think we can understand that we give value to things that actually don't need value. We give too much value to things that are of, of insignificant, or insignificance. And we have a tendency of having these things get in the way with our relationship with God. And for instance, something that I have a hard time with, especially with, with hockey season just about to start and fantasy hockey, all these different things, my thing right now is my phone. And it's been a thing for a long time. I get so distracted. I get so paranoid of what's going to happen. How can I contact them? How can I see who's going to score every 30 seconds? I want to check. I want to know what's going on. And I get so carried away with this. And it sounds pretty bad. I've even had to come to the point where I delete phones or delete games off my phone because I know I will get too addicted to these games. I just can't have them on my phone. It's something that I struggle with. But how do we struggle with these things? How are these things affecting our life and our way of worship? And I'm not saying that we have to like make an altar and I'm not going to put my phone on an altar and try to burn it, but I think we have to make a sacrifice with our usage. And if you struggle with the same thing, maybe make a sacrifice with our usage. Maybe this means limiting our screen time. Maybe it means deleting apps off our phone. Maybe it means that when we're home, we don't bring our phone into the bedroom or to the bathroom. Or when we have family time, it's actually family time and it's not phone time. And that's hard to say. I, I do the same thing and I'm guilty of it. But I think it's so important for us to do. And maybe this isn't your struggle. Maybe your phone is not your struggle at all and it's, it's not a, a problem for you. But, but we all have something. And the reason why I, I specifically picked an item such as our phone is because our usage doesn't only affect our life, but it affects the lives of those, of those around us directly. Similarly to Abraham sacrificing the benefits, or Abraham's sacrifice benefiting more than just himself, but to his descendants. 
And like I mentioned earlier, just because we're giving up something like our phones, it doesn't mean that we're, we're going to all of a sudden receive this huge benefit in our life. But maybe by giving up our phone or giving up some time on it, those around us will benefit it. Maybe those around us will benefit with that time that we're spending with them. Maybe with the advice, maybe with the time, maybe with the love that we're showing them instead of our devices. Because it's through Abraham's obedience that his descendants receive that blessing, that they receive the blessing. And something I've come to realize um, with my short time in youth ministry so far is that, yes, we're there to teach the Bible. Yes, that's what we're there to do. We want to teach, we want to pray, we want to do all these things. But something that speaks way more volumes is the way that's, that the leaders demonstrate living out faith. It's, it's the value that they, they show in coming out every Friday night, coming out on Thursday nights for meetings. It's the time that they spend. It's the effort that they put into it. That's what speaks more. That's what speaks the significance of God has, what God has in our life. That's what shows the most. And it's in our actions and our vulnerabilities and our dedication that we see um, that teens are seeing this. Like our life matters. Our spiritual life plays a role in our life. It really matters. And the reason I want to challenge us with this is because, um, like, I think, I gotta make sure I say this right, I think we are a generation that has, has hit a wall in our spiritual growth. I think we've hit a wall in our spiritual growth, and it's because of the distractions in our life. It's because of the things that encompass our time, that we have hit a wall. And I believe if, if we don't change the way that we worship, if we don't change the way we live out our life, it'll be the next generation that sees that, and sees the example of how to live out your faith. It's through being on our phones. It's through whatever it may be that distracts us. In Judges 2, 8 to 11, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And then, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timoth Harris, in the hill, of, hill county of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done in Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baal. And if the worship team wants to come up, um, feel free to do that. And from this passage, we can see that it only took one generation, only took one generation to forget Joshua and to forget what the Israelites did to worship God. It only took one generation to forget how to worship. And I think in the same way, it's true in our life. Being an example in the way we worship is so crucial for our Christian faith, and for those after us, for those around us. And a lot of you are Sunday school teachers, so this is so important for you, because it's the generation under us that see it, how we live out our faith. It's how they see how we worship and how we spend our time. And the scary truth is, our families could be one generation away from knowing Christ. They could be one generation away if we don't place an emphasis in our spiritual life, if we don't place an emphasis in our worship, in our time with God, and we don't choose to worship him daily. But imagine if we place more. Imagine if we place more significance in God. If we treated our life as worship, how would that affect those around us? How would that affect our kids, the ones that we mentor, the ones that are in our Sunday school? How would that affect them if we spent more time with God? If we treated every area of our life in worship? Imagine if, imagine if we picked up our phones less and picked up our Bibles more. Imagine if we cared less about the followers that we get and more about the followers that Christ gets. And imagine if we started every day with Jesus and ended every day with Jesus. Imagine that. And I'm just as guilty as the next person. And that's why I'm up here getting goosebumps just talking about this because I believe that through our worship, we can do amazing things. 
But that only happens if we're worshiping the God that is above all else. That's the only way this happens, is if we worship God above everything else in our life, that we'll be that example. So my prayer today is that we don't let this topic of worship stop here. It doesn't stop after this service, after this series. But, with, but we lift our voices and we continue to see every aspect and every area of our life as a way to worship God. That, that he sacrificed his one and only son so that we could benefit. He doesn't benefit from this. It's us that benefits through that sacrifice, just as Abraham did with Isaac. It's the descendants. It's God who sacrificed his son so that we could benefit from this. So I think he deserves all the praise. He deserves all the worship. And it is our duty as Christians to worship him in all we do, in our school, in our work, in every aspect of our life, to worship God. So that is my prayer for today. Dear God, I want to thank you for, for today, Lord. And I, I yeah, you, are, you are so powerful, Lord. And it is so evident in our life that when we worship you, when we direct our life towards you, Lord, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. It is through you. It is through you that we can do so much, Lord. It is our strength. It is our relationships. Everything is through you. And that is why you deserve our worship. That is why you deserve our praise, Lord. That is why you deserve it all, Lord, because you are good. You are holy. And you are so much more than we could ever imagine. And you sacrificed your son so we could have a relationship with you, Lord. It is through you. Amen.